Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 572 for release on Sunday, February 9th, 2020. On WaveScan today, Minicoy Island, the island of the long racing canoe boats. We'll be talking with Thomas Witherspoon of Ears to Our World and our Philippine DX report from Henry Umarai. According to some historians, the long line of three island countries on the west side of the Indian subcontinent were all classified anciently as one contiguous whole, and they were identified collectively back then as Lakshadweep. These days, however, and beginning at the north, the three separate islandic units are identified as Lakshadweep, then to the south, the Maldives, and then further south again, Diego Garcia, all of which we collectively designate for our purposes as West Aquamontia. Here's Ray Robinson now with the story of Minicoy Island. Thanks, Jeff. The most southerly Indian island in the northern Lakshadweep archipelago is identified as Minicoy, a name that's been translated with at least three different meanings. It's said that the original name for Minicoy Island, Maliku, can be interpreted as Island of the King, or perhaps Island of Women, or perhaps Cannibal Kingdom, all of which may have been correct. The island of Minicoy claims to be the second largest island in Lakshadweep, though geographers would suggest that this island by itself is actually the third largest, with 4.01 square miles of land. The current population on Minicoy is a little over 10,000. A very small uninhabited island nearby, with a total area of just 0.01 of a square mile, is called Viringili, a name that's taken from the Devehi language of the Maldive Islands, not the Malay Ali language of the other islands in Lakshadweep. Viringili was known in the past as the Island of Lepers, and also as Smallpox Island. Minicoy Island is just 75 miles across the open ocean from Turakunu Island in the Maldives. Way back in the dim distant past, it's said, there was just one family living on Minicoy. And then two princesses and their retinue from the Maldive Islands came and settled on Minicoy, and the original inhabitant family left and went to ancient Ceylon. During the colonial days, the British ruled Minicoy from mainland India, and then in 1956, sometime after India gained its independence from the British Raj, a referendum was held on Minicoy, and an absolute majority voted to remain with India. And thus the island was absorbed into the Lakshadweep archipelago. Minicoy is famed for the longest racing canoe boats in the world, and they are designed and built entirely of handcrafted local wood, without any metal nails, bolts, nor screws. They race these Jahadoni, as they're called in the local Maliku language, on the waters of their large lagoon, with as many as 60 or more men seated in each and rowing at a remarkably fast speed. In fact, their racing style is so well organised that it's difficult for a regular motorboat to keep up with them. There are 10 villages on the island of Minicoy, and each village has its own specific logo and colour. 
The village identification is crafted onto the blade of each oar. These racing carnivals are staged usually twice each year on two important Indian national days, Republic Day on January the 26th and Independence Day on August the 15th. And then too, if an important visitor comes to the island, they'll stage another special event carnival, which will be equally as magnificent as on any other occasion. Back during the 1980s, Indian archaeologists investigated an ancient, nearly 1,000-year-old, Buddhist stupa on Minikoi, though their research discovered very little of real historic value. Radio came to Minikoi Island in 1941, when a government communication station was installed in the middle of the island. Some 17 years later, this station was also made available to the general public for the transmission of communication messages back to mainland India. Then, in 1982, a marine radio beacon was installed on the island with a tall transmission tower near the gleaming white lighthouse at the southern tip of the island. This facility was replaced in the year 2000 with modern equipment that radiated 500 watts on 306 kilohertz. However, the tall radio tower was felled during the devastating impact of Cyclone Oki two years ago in December 2017. With the staging of more than half a dozen de-expeditions to the Lakshadweep archipelago during the past more than half a century, amateur radio stations have been installed temporarily at more than a dozen different locations throughout these islands. The first of these radio adventures took place in 1961 on the island of Minikoi itself, just five years after the aforementioned referendum. The well-known international radio monitor, Jose Jacob, VU2JOS, is an assistant director at NIAR, the National Institute of Amateur Radio, in Hyderabad, India, and he has participated in two different amateur radio D expeditions in the Lakshadweep Islands. On the second occasion, he was assigned with four other team members to Minikoi Island, where they operated under the special event call sign VU7MY. The call sign VU7MY is reminiscent of the call sign of the NIAR founder and current chairman, Mr. S. Suri, whose home call sign is VU2MY. A low-power TV relay station was installed on Minikoi Island in 1989, and this was the first of many similar stations on the various islands in the Lakshadweep archipelago. Well, that was our final topic regarding the Lakshadweep Islands, the Indian islands on the western side of the Indian subcontinent. In coming editions, we plan to present a couple of topics regarding the radio scene in the Maldive Islands to the south. For now, back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Well, shortwave radio can do some amazing things, and one of the best examples of this is a project called Ears to Our World. It's been around for several years now. At last year's Shortwave Listeners Winterfest in Philadelphia, I ran into Thomas Witherspoon, who's the founder of the project. All right, Thomas Witherspoon, good to see you here in, uh, at the SWL Winterfest. In, uh, and this is, uh, you've been here a few times, right? Yes, I have. This actually is my 10th year here. Wow. It's good seeing you here, Jeff. <laughs> I probably haven't been here for about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, Thomas, we, uh, I, I know you're, you are well known for the um, Ears to Our World project, and uh, uh, that continues. Oh, yeah. Um, I started Ears to Our World in uh, 2008, 
and uh, we became a, a 501c3 nonprofit organization in 2010. And we keep doing what we do. We're a small organization. I always tell people that we're kind of in the in the charity and nonprofit world. We're like the tortoise in the race with the tortoise and the hare. We just kind of do things consistently and strategically, and we're able to do it on a shoestring budget. And what we do is we provide access to information to remote and rural communities, mainly to help out with education in schools. And is it mostly in Africa? Yeah, um, actually, these days, you know, where we've uh, we we work a lot in South Sudan, in Kenya, in Cameroon. Uh, those are regular places we visit almost every year uh, through our partners or directly. And uh, but we've lately been doing a lot of work in Haiti, huh. uh, so uh, much closer to home. So do you go in there and distribute, donate radios? Yeah, radios are a really big component of what we do. Um, we work with self-powered, so these are like hand crank radios. Um, we take them to, uh, for example, in, in Haiti, we work through the Haitian Health Foundation. And um, they take the radios a lot of times to visually impaired uh, people uh, in the small communities. Um, and they uh, provide a nice source of information when things go wrong, which Haiti, unfortunately, has a lot of natural disasters, political upheaval. I mean, just now what's going on there is, uh, is um, they're always in a you know, state of, of uh, trying to figure out what's going on in the world, what's going on locally. And actually, AM and FM radio really helps them and shortwave as well. No. Do the radios you distribute have shortwave bands on them normally? Almost all of them do. Uh, occasionally when we're working in an area um, and uh, we know that shortwave's not really the, uh, the, the needed band. For example, um, after a natural disaster uh, where community stations are the ones really providing the information, sometimes we'll stick with just an AM, FM radio. But um, I would say that 80%, probably 85% of the time, it, there are all of our radios. Those radios have shortwave. Yeah. And besides disasters, um, uh, are you, do you have uh, uh, radios for educational programming? Um, yes. Actually, um, in Kenya, when we first started working there, the radios were used to pick up educational broadcasts that uh, were put out by the um, uh, Ministry of Education. And, but, but a lot of times, it's in South Sudan, uh, for years and years and years, uh, the teachers we work with there, uh, in South Sudan, the second language or the official language of the country is English, but they have many, many different local languages. So teachers usually only have a sort of a textbook understanding of English. You don't get to practice it as much. And for them to be able to listen to broadcasts in English helps them tune their ear and uh, do a better job. I mean, when they listen to the news in English, it really helps them with their vocabulary and their English comprehension. Now, have you been to some of these places yourself? I've gone to, because I've got a very active family life, I can't go, uh, it's hard for me to go away for weeks at a time. But we have board members that very routinely go to Africa, and they do the work there. I do go to Belize directly. We work with the um, Belize Council for the Visually Impaired, and I, I work there um, and uh, we have uh, partners that go into like Haiti. Um, but yeah, when I get a chance, I, I'm a traveler, so I love the opportunity to do it. Uh, but some of the areas where we work, it's a, you know, it's a one to one and a half month commitment uh, when you go there. Yeah. And I'll let you take a shortwave radio with you when you, when you go. I always take a shortwave radio with me. <laughs> yeah, anytime I travel. Uh, even traveling to the Winterfest here, I have, um, I'm traveling with a bag that's no larger than a small laptop bag for, I think, five days um, or five nights here. 
Um, I like to travel very lightly, but I still include, I take that valuable space and put a shortwave radio in there, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, now besides uh, Ears to Our World, um, you, uh, you have a very interesting uh, shortwave-related blog. Yes, I am uh, the editor, and I guess you'd say owner, of uh, the S.W. Welling Post, which is a blog uh, devoted to shortwave uh, radio, all the aspects of it, international broadcasting, and also a little bit about ham radio and uh, other radio enthusiast topics. And I know... uh uh, whenever something happens of interest on the shortwave bands, there's there's a post on the blog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. It's over the years, you know, I developed that website. Um, really, is like an online place for me to keep tabs on news stories I found of interest. I had zero interest. I didn't market it. I didn't do anything. I just put it out there. And I guess eventually Google kind of found it and searched it, and people would find topics on it. And uh, right along 2011 or 12, I decided I'd try to make a post every day. And I remember when I first started it, and I told, I, told, uh, I was telling a friend, like, yeah, I'm going to do one, I'm going to write about shortwave radio. They said, you're going to have a hard time finding topics to talk about. Nowadays, uh, there's so many contributors. We have about 7,000 daily readers of the website, which is a hefty uh, group of people. And they give me all kinds of news tips and um, interesting articles. And I love it because I'm kind of at the nexus of all this just interesting stuff people are doing. And I, I get to be the one to um, kind of show the world what, what you can do with radio. And it's a lot of fun. Where, where are your readers located? I know being on the Internet, I'm sure you can tell more or less. <laughs> yeah, so um, a good uh, probably 55% are in the United States. Um, I'd say that the uh, probably... Uh, another 30% are in other English-speaking uh, countries in the world. Um, of course, the United Kingdom, um, Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa. Um, and then the rest, we have a lot from Germany, from Bulgaria, Japan, um, and of, of course, in the English-speaking world, uh, Canada. Um, we actually have, if you look at our statistics where you can see readers, um, they really do blanket the globe really thoroughly. In fact, I really like looking to find that somebody from Tuvalu or uh, Vanuatu or something, you know, is uh, following the blog um, because uh, I try to keep the English language such that anybody, even if they just had a textbook understanding of the language, they would be able to read it, you know. So there's uh, shortwave is not dead. <laughs> no, it's, and I get asked, this is one of the biggest questions I get asked. Is there anything to listen to on shortwave? And uh, people say, no, nah, I listen around. I haven't heard anything. And I, my answer is, well, either you live in an area where there's so much noise, you can't hear anything on your radio, or you're just not listening. Because I find that the content has changed since the Cold War. But there's so, so many fascinating things to listen to. And you archive a lot of that on, on your audio archive, right? That's right. I uh, run a site called the Shortwave Radio Audio Archive. And it is basically a collection, a database of air checks and off-air recordings that enthusiasts have made over the years. And that's something that actually kind of started here at the Winterfest after I'd only, is probably eight years ago or more. Um, we had a conversation about what people are doing with their off-air recordings around magnetic tape and how that tape starts to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to lose some of those because there were some really fascinating recordings. We, we radio enthusiasts capture a lot of stuff, you know, and, and tuck it away. 
And so I, uh, we talked about different ideas and um, just nothing really was popping up. And so I thought, I'm just going to do it myself. And so I created this website and uh, started loading in my own recordings. Other people started contributing. And now it's just wonderful because someone will discover it and uh, send me um, it, it recordings either they've digitized or asked me to digitize it. Um, that's you know from the late 60s or um, you know in some of the earliest times of home recording, people were making off-air recordings. And we get to share that with the world. And anybody who subscribes to the archive can actually download the, almost the entire collection and keep their own copy of it. And so a lot of that, I'm sure, comes off of old cassette tapes. Yeah, cassette tapes are probably the biggest thing, actually. Um, I just... Uh, Maybe even reel-to-reel. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely reel-to-reel. And, and, and there are a lot of uh, enthusiasts in the um, uh, community that help with uh, moving those from reel-to-reel. Because there are a lot of different reel-to-reel formats, uh, uh, moving it from reel-to-reel to digital for us, so we can share it. Now, is the stuff on the blog um, all shortwave? I'm sorry, on the, arch- uh, the audio archive. On the audio archive, it is not all shortwave. It's probably 90% shortwave, though. We do have medium wave broadcasts there. We even have a couple of FM and a few studio recordings. Usually those have to be something kind of exceptional, kind of relevant to uh, the world of DXing and international broadcasting or uh, world events uh, that, that have happened. Um, uh, but by and large, they're all shortwave radio um, archives. Okay. And then uh, you also have a, a Spectrum archive. Tell me about that. So that's a... It sounds like I'm doing a lot of things here, which <laughs> it's okay if you slowly back away at this point. <laughs> the Spectrum archive is sort of like... The shortwave radio audio archive is a collection of off-air recordings. So they're audio recordings of a broadcast, an MP3, right? The Spectrum archive, these are recordings of, of Spectrum, so it might be recordings of the entire AM broadcast band or the entire 31-meter shortwave radio band. Um, there are even some FM uh, Spectrum files. But the cool thing about Spectrum is you can take these files, download an SDR application, a software-defined radio application, download the application, which is usually free, download the uh, file, um, you load the file up into the application, and you can tune through this Spectrum file in real time. It's like a radio time machine. I have files, um, some uh, DXers back in the, uh, about 86, 85, 86, they actually made IF recordings with hi-fi VCRs and uh, to capture uh, the um, uh, station IDs at the beginning of the, uh, of the hour on the AM broadcast band. They record it on uh, a VCR, then go back and play it through their radio later so they can tune through it and, and catch them all at once, you know, when a really nice opening happened. Some of those have been digitized, and with a free application, you can go back and tune through what the Providence, Rhode Island um, AM broadcast band sounded like on May 1st, uh, 1986, and tune through those files. Uh, there aren't as many of those older ones, but since software-defined radios have become popular, we have uh, really nice spectrum recordings dating back to you know, 2007 uh, in that time frame and forward. And, um, but spectrum files, unlike audio files, are huge. They're massive. And we are keeping all of those with the Internet Archive. And they are graciously um, hosting all of our files, which will eventually amount to um, several terabytes of files. And where can people find them? Um, we have a website called uh, spectrumarchive.org. 
Um, and we'll have, we're creating the collection right now with the Internet Archive. Once we have, um, there's a barrier of entry with the amount of files we'll need to have for them to create a special collection for us. But once we have that, we'll publicize where those are and where all the links are to them. But just check out uh, spectrumarchive.org for more information. Okay, and the, uh, your, your other audio archive? Is the Shortwave Radio Audio Archive. And that's simply shortwavearchive.com. And, um, and if you want to see the SWLing post, uh, that's at um, SWLingPost.com. So S-W-L-I-N-G post.com. And ears to our worlds, uh, the easiest address for that is E-T-O-W.org. All right. Well, uh, good luck to you with all that, uh, Thomas. I know it keeps you busy. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps me very busy, but it's, it's a labor of love. All of it is. All right. Well, good to see you here at the, uh, at the Winterfest. And... Uh, and maybe we'll see you next year. Who knows? Thank you so much, Jeff. <laughs> that was Thomas Witherspoon of Ears to Our World. I was speaking to him there at the 2019 SWL Winterfest near Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This year's Winterfest is coming up very soon now, but there's still time to sign up. All shortwave listeners are welcome. You can find all of the info at www.swlfest.com. That's www.swlfest.com. Now let's go to Henry Umatai with his Philippine DX report. Hello, everyone. To all your shortwave listeners, wherever you are, welcome to the February night edition of the Philippine DX. This is report number 155. I'm Henry Umatai in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central. Philippines. Glad to be back and thank you for listening. Reception lags for January 2020. January 5, China Radio International on 12.070 in Filipino from Xi'an, Sanji Province at 11.36 ISIO 444. January 6, NHK World Radio Japan on 13.650 in Chinese from Yamata. At 12.30, SIO 4.34. January 6, China Radio International on 11.955. In Filipino, Pram Kunming, Yunnan Province. At 13.10, SIO 3.33. January 12, TWR, Transworld Radio on 11.965. In Indonesian, Pram Aganya. At 10.10, SIO 4.54. January 19, Adventist World Ratio on 15.500 in Indonesian from Guam at 22.35 SIO 3.33. January 19, Radio Pilipinas Overseas Service on 12.010 in English from Tinang at 0.245 SIO 4.44. January 20, KTWR Transworld Ratio on 11.965 in English from Guam at 11.10. SIO 555, January 21, Adventist World Radio on 17540 in Ilocano from Guam at 1046 SIO 443, January 22, Radio Taiwan International on 9835 in Indonesian from Tainan at 0100, SIO 343, January 24, Adventist World Radio on 12040 in English from Guam at 2200, SIO 5. Five, five, January 27, YFM on 11.890 in Malaysian from Sarawak at, at 10.40 SIO 3.33 and January 27, China Radio International on 11.955 in Filipino from Kunming at 11.34 SIO 3.33. Send us your comments, suggestions, reception lags and informations to PilipinasDX at Chiahu. 
Pilipinasdx.com. That's P-I-L-I-P-I-N-A-S-D-X for PilipinasDX at Yahoo.com. This has been Henry Wanai for Wayscan in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central, Philippines sa Mabuhay, at maraming salamat po. Thank you very much, Henry. We end WaveScan today with some music in the Divehi language from the Lakshadweep area. This is a Christian song called I Ask You God. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, Uruguay on shortwave after the Second Great War and our Canadian DX report. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reports for the program to the AWR address in Thailand, we'll give you in a moment, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program, and they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The only email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The only postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. That's Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence, non-reception reports, to Wavescan is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White, WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.
Thank you. 